I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Welcome to Vet Sessions. Today's episode of Vet Sessions is generously sponsored by OVC Pet Trust. OVC Pet Trust, founded in 1986 at the Ontario Veterinary College, is Canada's first charitable fund dedicated to improving and advancing companion animal health and well-being. OVC Pet Trust supports innovative discoveries, education, and healthcare that improve the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of diseases of pets. Learn more about OVC Pet Trust at www.pettrust.ca or connect with them on Instagram at OVC Pet Trust. Today I have Dr. John Tate joining us. Dr. Tate recently concluded 25 years as an assistant professor at the Ontario Veterinary College, teaching personal financial planning, career planning, and practice economics and management to student veterinarians. Dr. Tate was also the director of the Veterinary Teaching Hospital, now known as the Companion Animal Hospital, for several years while he was at the OVC. Dr. Tate is also currently a practice management and general consultant to the veterinary industry, where he specializes in practice evaluations, feasibility studies, startups, transition planning, and personal financial planning. Welcome, Dr. Tate. Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been it's been nice. Um, I, I will say and start off with, you uh, lectured to, to Dr. Dersey and I. Uh, we won't say when, we don't want to give our ages away. Um, but it was you know great having you as a lecturer and then sort of a, a minor mentor in my career. And then it's great to have you back. On yeah, that nice to come back. Nice to be here. And always have enjoyed uh, working with the college and students. Yeah, great. And yeah, you've been here for quite a while, so that, that shows certainly. Uh, so Dr. Tate, tell us, why did you decide to become a veterinarian? I think it started at a young age for me. Uh, certainly, I was still in single digits, six, seven, eight years old. And I think a lot of us that go into this profession, it was for very altruistic reasons and mm-hmm. certainly exposure as a child, both to companion animals and um, to uh, care for companion animals too. Didn't really start in a veterinary context. Mm-hmm. I think that I was exposed to all of the uh, you know, the books like the James Harriet books and TV yeah, series yeah. and so on that were on at the time that thought this might be a neat career to go into. I think one of the biggest influencers I had, and there's always those sort of trigger events when we're younger, was um, my grandmother actually was a volunteer at the Humane Society in Niagara oh. Falls oh, and would go in to look after mainly cats. She, yeah. was, she was a cat lady. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was, she was a cat lady, but would take me along with her. And, yeah. and it was very influential seeing some of the cats that, um, in particular, that were um, suffering from some sort of injury or illness and what was involved in taking care of them. And I thought it, at the time, even as a child, would be an impactful career to go into. Mm -hmm. And I never really lost my interest, never really wavered far from wanting to be a vet other than brief periods. Maybe I wanted to be a hockey player or (laughs) fireman or something like that, but always came back to it. Coming out of high school, my plan always was to come to Guelph and then to try and get Mm -hmm. into uh, veterinary school and try and get some experience um, prior to doing that. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's a good story. I mean, it's nice that you had that, that grandparent, you know, association. I think as veterinarians, we try to, you know, at least get one of our children involved in the practice. And I try to have my son tag along to various humane society events. But 
I don't think any of my kids want to be yeah. a vet just yet. Yeah, very true. I have a daughter who's a vet now, yes. uh, working up in yeah. Barrie and uh, early in her career. So it's nice yeah. to see continue. Yeah. yeah, I know. I think we want that for our kids, whether it happens or not, we'll see. But yeah, so that's good. Amazing. Thank you. Um, can you tell us a bit more about your career path? I know well, you, one of your goals was to come to OBC and you managed to, to do that. What happened after graduation? After graduation, I think like a lot of uh, new graduates, I wasn't really sure where I wanted to settle, so I went into a full mixed practice mm -hmm. where we did a week about at the time up in the Ottawa Valley, and it was a week of uh, companion animal and then a week of large animal. Right. I certainly wasn't an expert, having had minimal experience to horses and cattle, yeah. but I had great mentorship there. Mm -hmm. um, it was certainly more demanding, very rewarding, but yeah. more physically demanding. Um, than I thought, and I did that for almost three years, mm -hmm. and then um, moved into strictly companion animal, mm -hmm. moved to a few different practices, uh, in smaller practices where the owner wasn't present eventually, took on more of a leadership type role, mm -hmm. and then um, bought uh, my first practice, actually here in the Guelph area, oh. and then had a second one in um, West Toronto that I was uh, ma managing kind of for somebody else as yeah. well. And I was became very interested at that time, kind of in the practice management and really the business side, and the intricacies of a for-profit um, type mm -hmm. business as well. And while I was practicing and raising a family, I went back to school multiple times after vet school um, for a uh, MBA yeah. and then uh, certification in financial planning and a second um, mm -hmm. degree in finance as well. And after that, uh, to make a long story short, in terms of career path and so on, um, I was freshly minted and uh, sold my practice interest here. Mm -hmm. And we actually moved to the U.S. at the very beginning of consolidation. Right. And I worked for a BCA, who's still yes. in the marketplace now. They've changed ownership and structure a few times. They were only in the U.S. at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, we moved down there for a period of time where I learned um, what we call multi-unit management, mm -hmm. managing multiple businesses um, at the same time with a leadership team and certainly learning the business side at a corporate and higher higher level yeah. scale. At that time, I was responsible for acquisitions and became trained in business valuation. This would go back to just before the turn of the century as well and started yeah. actually teaching then at Michigan State. My first teaching right. kind of gig for a few years was at Michigan State to replace a retired economics professor who had taught some business and economics. And I had yeah. absolutely no idea what I was doing in right. terms of teaching, presenting and so on. But I really liked it. I liked the academic environment. Mm -hmm. I liked the buzz around a vet school and yeah. the energy uh, from students and so on and their interest in the subject. Mm -hmm. um, however, the job there involved a tremendous amount of travel. And right. with a young family, I think anybody who thinks travel is glamorous thinks wrong after a period of time. <laughs> And it just happened that we didn't have it in our plans necessarily to come back to the Guelph area, but the teaching hospital director, a five-year term position, yeah. came up then. I came back at the time Guelph here, OBC, was starting the Art of Veterinary Medicine curriculum. That's right. That your class would yeah. have been yeah. right in the transition period yeah. there, TBM 2000. Yeah. I gave it away yeah. when you read wow. it. Um, so at the time, uh, the three of us, myself, Dr. Peter Conlon and uh, Dr. Cindy Adams, Mm -hmm. um, created what is now known as the ABM curriculum. Yeah. And um, I started a little bit of consulting on the side at the time. And because I had done acquisitions, I had done business valuations. I still had a lot of energy at that point yeah. 
in life and became involved in uh, numerous facets of organized veterinary medicine. I guess the biggest one was the American Animal Hospital Association. I spent nine years on their board, a year as president, yeah. and so on right at the time the PHC here was, was being built. Mm-hmm. Once my term position as director was done, um, at the time I stayed on at Guelph in a part-time faculty role um, as the course coordinator of ABM3, and yeah. then also oversaw the externship That's right, um, yeah. for a number of years as well. And then grew my consulting business. I had learned the consolidation model. So uh, between myself and a couple other veterinarians in Toronto, before consolidation really was up and rolling, mm-hmm. um, we started our own consolidation group and had practices from Toronto to Whitby to Ottawa uh-huh. that we held on to until 2014, the end of 2014. Mm-hmm. Well, I was still here at Guelph part-time. And then since then, um, up until last year, it was teaching part-time. I did about 20 years also a consolidated program similar to here at Guelph at uh, Saskatoon, at mm-hmm. PEI, um, down in the Caribbean, and a handful of other schools yeah. across the U.S. I was trying to avoid travel, and it still ended up being yes. there, but yes. for a different purpose as well. So now, yeah. really, in the last few years, it's really with all the transition in the industry going on, particularly mm-hmm. the practice sales and consolidators coming in, that's kind of been the niche um, that has filled up my time, just what yeah. you described earlier yeah. on. Um, and it's become a very kind of volatile marketplace with what we've seen in the last couple of years for that as well. So in a nutshell, yeah, that's the that's the last 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll come back to that, 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 you know, transition in, in a bit, but it's a, a definitely an interesting career path. I mean, you know, going from medicine and branching into the financial aspects and having to, to, I guess, retrain, or not really retrain, but switch your brain that way. It's certainly something that many veterinarians don't have the knack for, <laughs> myself no. included. So. Yeah, very true. And yeah. I mean, ironically, I mean, I loved it. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I at the time, it was just such a different material after going through, I was an Aggie, undergrad Aggie, right. and then um, going through vet school and so yeah. on, to switch that science rote memory part off and, yeah. and learn something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good, good challenge, and certainly you succeeded. You did great in it. So, oh, thank um, you. Definitely good on you. Um, and yeah, and we were chatting just before we came in and started the show, just in the in the in the lobby that you were seeing. You were the president of Aha when our hospital here got accredited. So, right. Yes, I you remember. Know, so the, definitely lots of connections. Remember the ribbon cutting. Yeah, well. yeah, all the way around. <laughs> great invest. Great investment by Hills. I think very innovative yeah. and the PhD here, and and I think the training that the students get here at Guelph. Um, you know, I would run across some schools, at least at the time when I traveled to the U.S., they rarely got in an exam room with an actual client and so yeah. on. But I think the simulated Doskies and mm-hmm. what goes on here at the PHC really sets them up for a smooth entry into the workplace. Yeah, it, it does. And, and we didn't have this. I mean, we did some mock interviews and things like that in, back in the day when I was a student. But certainly you know any of this. So I think it really prepares our graduates yeah, for the real world much more efficiently. Agreed. Yep, I yeah. agree. Great. So... You, you sort of segued a bit into sort of our next, you know, sort of mini topic, but uh, can you describe to our listeners sort of the evolution uh, of veterinary practice ownership in Ontario? Right. And I would say it's probably the same across the country, even across North America. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look back at the 70s in particular, you know, later 60s, 70s, early 80s, vet school enrollments were up and it was like, I got to own a practice, got to start a practice type era. Mm-hmm. And the industry became very fragmented as the population was suburbanizing, I would call it, moving out of the city core into the suburbs. You know, you look at Ontario, Toronto, and Ottawa, and the growth of the suburbs, like Mississauga, Brampton, out this way to Guelph as well. 
east and north up into the Barrie area. Well, those were typically single-dwelling homes at the time. I mean, mm -hmm. we've certainly seen a move now towards more of the reverse of that, urbanization and people going back into condos and so on with yeah. smaller dogs and more cats. But at the time, it was like single-dwelling home, had to have a dog, had to have a cat, yeah. and demand for veterinary services um, certainly was increasing at the time. So we saw a lot of smaller practices typically kind of dotting the landscape mm -hmm. in companion animals. Large animals, very much the same. I mean, food animal was kind of vet in a pickup truck with a buoy box and off they went. Right. Equine was also a solo practitioner and a yeah. pickup truck often without even a base facility and off they went mm -hmm. where it was primarily ambulatory for both of those. I think as we evolved with time and I think the uh, economic fundamentals had more resources devoted to them by various veterinary organizations. And I give the OVMA and credit for that in Ontario. They did a lot of work with the first fee guides coming out in the early yeah. 90s and recommendations on how to run your business, improve profitability and so on as well. And they started to become investments of better value. Mm -hmm. And practices were valued going as far back as the early 80s, kind of by rules of thumb. And the rules of thumb, of course, no longer apply. It's very formulaic and based on a lot of risk metrics now. Yeah. But I think what happened was we started to see a, a bit of a demographic shift in the mm -hmm. profession. Certainly, and I think we saw more desire for shared ownership, mm -hmm. you know, particularly for veterinarians trying to balance raising a family with running a yeah. veterinary practice. Those are two busy full-time jobs. Definitely. And I think the so-called economies of scale became apparent to owners where the bigger the practice got, the more profitable it could be because mm -hmm. you had scale, you had multiple staff members, you could justify a health benefits program, you got better deals on purchasing and so yeah. on to go along with the rise of organizations, co-ops like pet purchasing as well, mm -hmm. you know, that have helped with efficiency and practice for owners. Yeah. So I think the evolution we've seen is less of the kind of one person practice, although they're still out there mm -hmm. in companions, more of the multi-vet practice that could afford to have uh, emerging technologies like digital imaging and ultrasound and so on yeah, as well. CT, Absolutely, yep. and they could really leverage their staff better so the veterinarian could focus on veterinary activities. They could justify having a practice manager to That's keep right. the veterinarian yeah. on the floor. They became more profitable because mm -hmm. of this economic concept of economies of scale. They became worth more as well. Mm -hmm. And I think as soon as something becomes worth more, you know, if we jump back probably you know, until the late 90s uh, sort of thing, when consolidation started up, the profession got the attention of investors, right? Uh, private capital investors mm -hmm. that are that are putting money in. And uh, I think they what they saw was stability, they saw profitability, and they saw sustained demand yeah. um, from the general public to have, uh, particularly in companion animals, their companion animals um, treated on, you know, an ongoing basis mm -hmm. uh, as they became more members of the family i think they always were but the emergence of the human animal bond really helped us yeah i think large animal and equine um because i assume you'll have some of those members of those communities yeah. listening they remained more fragmented mm -hmm. and i think that it um it was really ingrained kind of in those industry sectors but i think lately in probably the last five to ten years you know, I have a number of clients now who have increased the scale of their operations. So we see larger scale equine operations, food yeah. animal operations, and so on as well. It also improved the lifestyle. And I yep. think that, um, you know, there's a more attractive lifestyle as we saw emergency clinics open. Mm -hmm. So on call has largely gone away in many, much. many <laughs> places, except maybe rural places and large yeah. animal 
and um, you know the veterinarian is no not no longer necessarily needs to be there you know 50 60 hours a week kind of thing yeah. I think it was understood it's easy to say well when I was first in practice it was so much harder but I guess <laughs> everybody thinks that you know but but the reality is I think there was uh, less recognition of the um, kind of life balance concept that you hear now. Exactly. I think the stressors have always been there, different ones. And certainly I think with the emergence of social media and the internet, one of the evolutions has been, um, and I used to tell students, you're no longer an information provider. And you would know this here. You're yeah. an information clarifier. Yeah, exactly. Um, because so many of them come in with wrong information or what they hear or what they read and so on. And I think that's mm -hmm. introduced a whole new set, set of stressors and client expectations that are often erroneous yeah and then the veterinarian has to kind of sort all that out so now we've seen certainly a trend to the mega practice mm -hmm. and the consolidated groups now that private capital has come in or some veterinarians have increased their scale to the point in both specialty practices because that's another thing that emerged there really was no private practitioner specialists mm -hmm. <coughs> when i graduated um a few but not too yeah. many <laughs> But now, you know, specialty and referral is booming. Technology yeah, has evolved is. to the point where it's so similar to human medicine. Yeah. And um, as you know, the standards here at PHC and so yeah. on, what you can actually do with rehab and all the ancillary services available right. to companion animals and, and really some in the equine industry in particular as well mm -hmm. have certainly grown. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, acupuncture, laser therapy, all For those sure. things. Yep, all of those. And some of those are becoming more common practice in, in sort of the average practice as well, not just larger facilities. Yep, I agree. Um, and they're desirable. I mean, clients see it or do it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think nutrition is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Um, where, uh, you know, there was very few choices in prescription diets. That's right. Not that long ago. Yeah. And um, now there's tons. And I yeah. think that really is a pull effect from the general public saying, I know more about nutrition. I know what I'm doing for myself. I want longevity for my pet. There's, mm -hmm. there, I've done a lot of R&D on them for specific clinical conditions. So, you know, everything from drug therapy to um, nutrition has, yeah. has evolved along with the profession as well. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, and it's good to have someone with your perspective on that. Um, you know, as new grads, and even myself, didn't didn't even realize some of the changes that that better medicine has gone through uh, as you said um and it's interesting so w with corporate involvement and and you know sort of uh, private funding and stuff do you see that as a, a positive a negative or is that just the way things are going to progress going forward I, I mean i think anytime you have the characteristics of our industry it was natural that private capital would come in mm -hmm. and then changes that were made in the structure of veterinary practices essentially allowed non-veterinarians to be calling the shots in mm. running the practice even mm. though there still is criteria in provinces across the country where a licensed veterinarian needs to be involved as a signatory yeah. or whatever it is but i think that um it's definitely i think a combination and kind of the way it is i think that um you'll hear people argue both ways yeah. i think that um what they have brought certainly is a lot of business acumen and expertise to mm -hmm. it I think they're being increased economies of scale. A lot of the benefits that they can offer because they're big companies yeah. and so on are very difficult for a small business of any nature um, to compete with as well. I think they take a lot of the load off of some management at the practice level when it comes to everything from payroll to paying bills to doing marketing to looking mm -hmm. after the facility and yeah. so on as well. 
so that the staff in there can really kind of come in there and and Just focus on the medicine. Do their, yeah. Focus on the medicine. Focus on yeah. the pet care. You know, we've seen a movement of some consolidation into the equine sector mm-hmm. as well. I mean, obviously, I think there's some concern about the context of decisions sometimes with mm-hmm. some of the consolidation groups. You know, in terms of what's driving the decision, is it economics and the bottom line? You know, or is it what's best for the patient? Right. I think most of them have realized that what's best for the patient and what's best for the client is what the staff wants to see as well. Mm-hmm. The veterinarians will tell you that um, what they like is autonomy over their professional decision making. We do have models out there um, where they are consolidation groups, where they tend to be a little more top down, very prescriptive. They right. also tend to have higher turnover, I think, for that very, very reason, reason as yeah. well. Certainly my travels, you know, through Canada and the U.S., you'll hear that it's great maybe when I first graduate to have prescriptive medicine, but the novelty of that, if you call yeah. it the novelty, kind of wears off. As you develop your skills yep, and, yeah. After, after a little while. Mm-hmm. I think that from the point of view, certainly, of practice owners who have divested or sold their practices um, to the consolidators from an overall wealth planning-ish perspective mm-hmm. for them some of them have done very well yeah and that's the difference in their model mm-hmm. um, when they're using investor money versus say borrowing money from a bank so i think i don't know if i call it a negative but maybe a limitation for some say experienced vets who had counted on ownership in a practice that they were already in yeah um, there certainly is a number of them out there that opportunity didn't manifest itself because they certainly could not compete on the calculation of value of the practice from the perspective of these consolidators who very simply could afford to pay more. They've done their best, a lot of them, to try and include associate vets or Mm -hmm. uh, prospective owners in sharing ownership with them. I think which is a model that works great for some, not so great for others, depending on what their vision. It wouldn't have worked for me who wanted to, you know, type A, wanted to call the shots type of thing. But I think if it's somebody that says, you know, I want an investment position. I don't want to necessarily call all the shots. I've got a lot of other priorities in my life. Mm-hmm. And this is an opportunity for me to have a shared investment position yeah. and let somebody else kind of do that, whether it's a you know, partnership or a joint venture, however they structure them, mm-hmm. um, has been a, a good opportunity. So uh, I think we're going to see certainly more of it. I think the, the difference is they're responding to a different marketplace. Um, right now, certainly after a real surge in consolidations, mm-hmm. we're in a pause period yeah. right now. Yeah. And that's a reflection of everything from coming out of the pandemic to interest rates going up mm-hmm. to an extremely tight labor market right, um, right now, which, uh, you know, depending on who you listen to, is going to take a while kind of to level off. Yeah, it's great it's if you're in that yeah. labor market. It's great if you're graduating Yeah, um, in terms of what's happening with salaries and so mm-hmm. on as well. And it's a different experience. I think yeah. uh, associates will tell you where... When mentorship's important, important for new grads and so on as well, um, when they're going into kind of a non-owner present practice, mm-hmm. I think some of them, if they still get the mentorship, they still have the experience vets, they can take advantage of some of the programs the consolidators have in mentorship yeah. to get it that way. That's fine. Others are more committed to, I, I want to go to a practice with the owner there. Yeah. Kind of want to go to a practice with the owner there. Similarly with owners, I mean, I just had one today who has a great big practice with uh, 12 vets and wants it to be uh, consistent in veterinary ownership. And I think that, you know, we'll see that perspective too, where they just don't want what they consider their legacy, their lifetime's work 
necessarily to go right. to a big corporation. Yeah, so, so, I mean, so I mean, they have so options, too. which is kind of nice, right? yeah. which is kind of nice. So yeah. I think that there's a cyclical nature kind of to the way uh, any investor responds in any business sector in terms of their interest. It's just right now because of what we call the externalities or macroeconomic factors going mm -hmm. on, you know, we're, we're in a lull with transition. But the average practice owner in Canada is like 62 years old. Right. Whatever, accounting day, VMA data. Yeah. So there's a lot, um, I think, will be coming to market. I still think there's a good opportunity to be a practice owner. Mm -hmm. A lot of these smaller practices simply are not on the radar. Yeah. Um, any of the, uh, what I'd call more significant consolidation groups. So definitely not a bad time to be a young yeah. associate or new grad. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's promising. I know... Uh, for me, it was during vet school, not not a primary goal. Um, once I graduated, it, it seems to become a bit of a, a goal uh, for me. Um, so certainly, that's that's good news that that you know for those those students who are coming through, looking to maybe own their own clinic at some point, that that option is still available. It is, yep. Shared ownership with them, and there's just a choice of now different environments for them yeah. to go into. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, so. I mean, we covered quite a lot there, and I think that that sort of, you know, you answered, I was going to say, well, all right, how does it differ in other parts of the world, U.S. in particular, you have quite a bit of knowledge there. Um, it's the same. Europe, yeah. too, Europe, too, the whole consolidation yeah. wave. I mean, and some of the consolidators now are, you know, moving money out of North America, of Europe, as, mm. um, you know, kind of, again, as pets become you know, more uh, a key part of people's family structure yeah, yeah. overseas and so on as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's got a ways yeah, to go. Yeah, sort of global. Yep, yeah, exactly. global shift. Yep. Interesting. Um, so uh, as a new grad or recent grad, you mentioned it's, it's a really good opportunity time to, to, to be coming out of vet school or, or looking to, to shift um, work environments. What, what, what sort of incentives, you know, salaries, benefits, what would the corporate groups have to offer that maybe a, a you know private practice or small two or three doctor practice couldn't offer well i mean i think salaries are very well networked yeah <laughs> we'll give new grads and veterinarians credit for having a great network right of communication <laughs> yeah. they know yeah um, what starting salaries are i'm still reading over proofreading contracts for new grads oh, yeah. and so on um now and um, i mean I'll, the corporate groups really I think have largely helped lead the way on mm -hmm. increasing salaries. And yeah. the last year or two is certainly the biggest single bump that I've seen mm -hmm. in starting salaries, mm -hmm. for sure. I think we've seen the emergence of um, production-based compensation or pro-sal mm. um, in a number of them. They'll offer it right up okay. front. And some private practices will do it as well. And that's yeah. essentially where they're paid on a commission um, on top of a base salary yeah. based on a percentage of kind of what economic revenue or activity they generate for the mm -hmm. practice. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, the larger the practice gets, though, I think where the bigger practice or the corporate groups definitely went out, what I mentioned earlier, is on benefits. I mean, things like paid vacation yeah. and CE and protection and liability insurance, everybody does that. But I think mm -hmm. where you get into, uh, for instance, student loan repayment plans or right. where you get into maybe what they can do in terms of assigning or retention bonus just to get you to stay there yeah. um, for a period of time in terms of what they can offer in the breadth of their health benefits mm -hmm. and who's paying what percentage of it, yeah. particularly in the U.S., you know, where right. the healthcare system is privatized and those are significant costs yes. for a practice to have to pay those. 
not so much here, but extended healthcare benefits here. There has to be a critical mass mm-hmm. in a practice for a smaller one, really, to be able to afford that yeah. over a decent number of employees. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly the associations and so on will often have their own, but when you look at a big corporation and what they can offer in terms of retirement plans, savings mm-hmm. and matches, and healthcare savings accounts and benefits and so on, um, which is important, you know, yeah. to people that might have children or children on the way or some kind of healthcare limitation that they know is going to be, you know, a burden or a, not a burden, but a cost, you know, yes. to them yeah. as they, as they go forward. Um, oftentimes too, you know, I, I think that the uh, facilities can be very comparable, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know, you'll see um, what we call horizontal diversification with some of the consolidation groups where not only do they have the practice, but they have a network of specialists. They have, you know, yeah. their own lab division. For instance, VCA owns Antec, so yes, they're connected right. at the hip yeah. by that. They have, you know, they have an imaging company and so on. So mm-hmm. sometimes the response times on referrals or access to some of these technological innovations and so on, just because they're right there, yeah, you exactly. know, can be a little bit, uh, a little bit quicker as well. Yeah, that's right. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to disparage kind of privately owned clinics as well. It's just that size matters kind Mm -hmm. of thing and the small practice, which is why we've seen the large animal practice, which remains largely fragmented. They're catching up, but very much uh, behind kind of where the small animal or companion animal model is now. Right, yeah, interesting. So do you then see more corporate groups getting into that sector? You, you mentioned equine, which, which I understand is a pretty large field. Um, but do you see them or is it still going to be fragmented or industry veterinarians? Yeah, I think the frame of reference is still companion animals. I mean, to answer the first part of your question, there's probably not a month goes by where somebody in private capital is putting a feeler out into mm. the market, right. wanting to get involved mm. um, kind of thing. Because they've seen the success of other groups then. Yeah. And, and you know when we came out of 2008 to 10 economic meltdown, there wasn't a lot of private money around. Now there, now there is. I yeah. mean, it's in a bit of a lull now, depending on where they want people to invest it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tell them I tell them if they contact me, because oftentimes they're looking at you know, just somebody that has an overview of the market um, from my perspective. And I tell them, you know, this is a baseball game. You're showing up in, you know, the ninth inning. Right. You're a little bit late to the game. I mean, a lot of certainly what I call the low-hanging fruit is gone. We have a lot of older, later career practice owners. I think more practices will come to the market. Yeah. But the landscape's very competitive. And Mm -hmm. the groups that have been out there for a while are very well branded. They're recognized. They have testimonials. They have success. They have practices doing well. So like anything else, it's hard to get into the game late and yeah. achieve any kind of uh, any kind of yeah, scale success. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, um, I mean that that's all great information, great news. So from what I understand, then there's pros and cons, um, just like with anything. You True. know, you take the good with the bad, the bad with the good. Um, th- there's still hope for new grads who are looking to get into practice ownership, uh, which is nice to hear. Um, based on your discussions with with student veterinarians what what percentage do you think or how many are going into to or how many are seeking you know that corporate structure versus looking for you know the, the smaller veterinary clinics privately owned do you have a sense of of what that could be yeah i mean i've certainly the bbmas have looked at that in the u.s and some of the other organizations including AHA as well you know it's variable i think it, it tends to be very variable mm-hmm. in terms of um, where they are, because the motivators typically in what we would call the early career life stage, which is like the first five years out, 
really yeah. isn't focused on practice ownership. Mm -hmm. It's more focused on getting my clinical abilities established. Yeah. Paying down debt <laughs> exactly. is a big yeah. one, right? Yeah. Paying down debt, yeah. kind of. I've got some money coming in now. Yeah. But determining whether this is for me, and not only when I say this, I mean practice in general, mm -hmm. um, but also the practice I'm in, where I'm at, where I'm living, and so on. Does mm -hmm. it work with my home situation? Yeah. Um, when we had our group, you know, we would always say that, you're not just hiring the vet, you're hiring the whole family. Yeah, yeah exactly. Kind of thing yeah, pretty because much, yeah. there's family considerations mm -hmm. um, there as well. I think it's still a significant number. Mm -hmm. And then it varies certainly in terms of um, how much risk they want to take on in terms of borrowing money. Yeah. I always say, don't worry about necessarily the size of the amount you're taking on to become the practice owner. Weigh it against what your return is going to be Right. Um, as well. Because, um, you know, I think the real wealth accumulation in this in this business, uh, certainly you can have a great lifestyle, good benefits, mm -hmm. good income um, as an associate all your yeah. career. But I'll tell you, the real wealth accumulation, like anything else, comes with taking some risk, and the risk yeah. comes from from practice ownership. Yeah, practice ownership. You yeah. know, the rough polling still shows you know a solid majority still interested in it, but doesn't mean they're going to do it. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it. Right. Interesting. Okay. Was there any anything else that you wanted to? jump into or no the only thing i would say too is you know we talked a lot about income and benefits and so on one thing i always say kind of if i'm doing a review or talking to somebody is don't forget the qualitative factors because mm. the environment you're working in you can spend a lot of hours there yeah right yeah. and um it's amazing how quickly confidence can be built or how it can be eroded yeah um immediately post-graduation and i'll see a number of reviews now where they're presented with offers I had one last week from a grad here from Guelph's got four offers. Hasn't been to any of the hospitals. Really? So okay. this particular one is just looking at the offers. Yeah. And I some of them are very so. close. And the differentiating feature, because I had another one, took $15,000 less a year. Mm. But this particular new grad said, this was the ideal setting for me. Everything they do, the time they're going to spend with me, the vibe I got mm -hmm. when I was there yeah. is a whole lot less stressful than someone handing me an Excel sheet and telling me, okay, you know, you're getting paid a lot, you're not doing enough dentals. Right, um, yeah. That can be very stressful. So yeah. I, my word of encouragement would be, um, look at both the qualitative factors, experience in yeah. the hospital, you know, as well as obviously the remuneration and what you're getting in return. Yeah, so spend some time, spend the day or two, sure, yeah. you know, get a feel of the hospital, maybe chat with some of the employees off the records right. <laughs> and, and see, yeah, absolutely. you know, what the background former politics employees, is. Former employees, former associates, yeah. current associates, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Social yeah. media reviews, look at their testimonials. Yeah. What clients think, you know, that's pretty valuable stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great news. You know, sometimes you, know, you work for five, you go to school for four years, plus you just want to get out there and, and make some money, but you forget that aspect of the job as well, too. And as you said, you know, we spend right. more time at work than we do sometimes with our own family. So, yeah, totally agree. My yeah. other, my other little piece of advice here would just be, um, you know, a lot of them are graduating with debt. The whole yeah. issue of balancing a professional level income with debt is new mm -hmm. and where you've spent years piling up student debt and you're just worried about the next midterm, the next exam, the next yeah. year and so on, you know, would be to get help on a financial plan yeah. to find a qualified financial planner in your mm -hmm. area that can get you started on investments. And yeah. I, as a financial planner, you know, there's numerous loopholes that are out there that people just don't take advantage of yeah. either in structuring, consolidating their debt or looking to buy their first home. There mm -hmm. are things that they could yeah. do and should be doing, but just don't see. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great news. Definitely great news. A uh, good, uh, good advice. Sorry. Um, but yeah. 
Uh, well, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed our chat. Yes, uh, me too. Certainly, Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Eye-opening, um, lots of aspects of the industry that I wasn't aware of, you know, just being sort of in this little cycle that we have here called OVC. Um, but it's great to hear that veterinary medicine is constantly evolving. Um, practice management is shifting. Uh, uh, there's still opportunities for new grads to, to get out there and, and own their clinic at some point. Mm-hmm. And as you said, you know, with risk, obviously, uh, oftentimes comes reward. So... Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Tate, for spending some time with us. Uh, maybe we'll have you back at some point um, just to see, you know, maybe in a year or so, who knows where, where the, the economy, where the, where the practice has gone. Um, so I'd like to thank you again for spending time with us on Vet Sessions. You're thank you for having me. Yeah, so much. Uh, I'd like to thank our listeners as well, too, for, for listening to our podcast. Uh, remember that you can email us with any comments or suggestions. Uh, uh, about the program at vetsessions at hotmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at vetsessions. Take care, everyone. Thanks again.